The International IVF Initiative is a worldwide non-profit education project for the assisted reproductive technologies community, sharing scientific and practical knowledge for embryologists, reproductive scientists and anyone working in the ART community. Each episode will share an insight into the world of IVF, along with profiles of legends within the world of ART, latest news and wisdom from our community. Welcome to another episode of the i3 podcast, where once again, we're taking you behind the webinar. This is the after party that happens after an i3 session. And this one was called Cryo Governance versus Best Practices in Cryo Transportation. And the conversation was focused on what do we really know as embryologists about shipping precious cargo? How can we safeguard these samples better? And where are we vulnerable? The webinar was looking at worldwide practices of transporting gametes and embryos, the new technological advances to keep samples safe and the standards and regulations that should be applied. Please do check out the show notes to have a listen to the whole session, which was sponsored by Cryoport. And we're now about to join the panellists discussing how they felt the session went. It's always really great to get this behind the scenes take on what was a real eye opener of a session. Be sure to listen to the end. You'll get all the details of how you can get in touch with us, find out what sessions are happening next, and of course, follow us on our socials. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast and help us spread the word. Great job. Yeah, it's great. Good attendance there. Excellent. Oh, yeah. I know it was up around 500 pretty consistently. So uh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot more that um, are registered. So they'll see it online as well. That was fantastic. A lot of um, questions coming in. I saw, I think everybody kind of was able to provide their uh, information. Yeah, yeah. Victoria, how was it for you? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me about the UK's experience and are we, uh, what was it? What was the phrase you used? Blissfully unaware. Well, it wasn't my phrase. That, oh. that, that phrase was because no one's answering the survey. Oh. Okay. Okay. So it's so, a very juicy subject, and I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." Well, this is the podcast, and we're here for juicy <laughs> subjects. So, so I can ask you now, and I'm being joined here. There's a, I, I can see Simon Cook's here. John Phillips is here as well from from, from Cryoport. Evans joining. So again, thank you all, everybody, and it's a fantastic session. Come on, Victoria, what have you got to say about the UK then? Well, blissfully unaware was a really interesting um, phrase. <laughs> Just because listening to Kristen's talk, I felt, you know, I felt every aspect that she was trying to put across in that little cartoon she put about holding her hair with kind of frustration. And I have to say that the job does give me low level anxiety about a lot of things. So I don't think I've ever felt blissfully unaware of, of something going on within the context, perhaps, yeah, compared to the US experiences. Is that what we were looking for? Well, I've been very lucky to travel to the States recently and just before COVID as well, because of the Dewar damage, which has occurred recently, you know, in 2018, that is the front of all their thoughts. That's the start of all their conversations. It doesn't seem to be the same in the UK. They follow the guidelines, they follow what they say, but, um, you know, if you see the attention that people are, you know, are paying to where they're storing and how they're storing and that kind of thing, and, and all the tests they're doing, um, of course, embryology is very passionate, but they haven't got this heightened anxiety perhaps because of the litigation, I'm not sure, that people have got in the States. Maybe it's a different experience. Like as you say, with the litigation is less on our minds, I think, and more the responsibility to what we're actually sending. I guess the courier service are a little bit smaller than, than a lot of the ones we've been kind of discussing. Um, and often it's a, a similar courier, you know them by first name, they'll turn up, it's a hand service. 
um you know there's there feels a certain level of trust you're handing the the shipper over it's sometimes it's even a very familiar shipper to you because you you see that one on a regular basis so perhaps it is a different experience to handing over a box to you know a new courier that you've, you've never met so there is always that anxiety and you're always really happy when the email pops in or notification that it's been received at the other clinic and all is well but it, i wouldn't say that it's anxiety free particularly the international transports we don't do that many so that's probably why we're more aware of them and we, as I say, we are very much waiting for that that message that it has arrived. Sure. But and, you're right, there's less of a background of litigation. I think that's more of a US style, perhaps. Victoria, um, do you generally get your confirmation of delivery from your courier or from the other center? It depends. It's usually from the other center. Because um, that's one of the things I think courier I struggle with. Yeah. We struggle with that in the US, I think, because we will put in uh, paperwork for the other end to kind of sign off that they received and either email back or send, you know, give us back that feedback that they've they've received them, that everything's fine and you just don't get it. So it's nice to have a courier that at least sends you the follow-up that says this transport is complete or that it's on its final leg, right? That it's been delivered to where it was supposed to go and now it's the empty tank is being returned to them kind of thing. Because yeah. the follow-up from the individual centers is not very consistent, I would say, on the US side. Yeah, often for some of the transports, we've been liaising with the other clinic, you know, a number of emails have gone to or fro. So there's almost some kind of personal level of service in a way that as soon as they've got it, they're like, just to let you know it's arrived. And you're like, great, that's it. And then you almost get the official confirmation a little bit after that, which tends to get to us quicker than the courier, but not always. Um, right. but if you're sending multiple shipments, I can understand that really you would want that from the courier. What about when you are expecting an import from a, from another center? Do you expect a, a certain amount of information prior in order to accept it? Or does everything just come in the tank? Like, you know, they're going to send you six blastocysts and that's it. Yeah, we wouldn't accept without the full information ahead of time. Um, useful things, you know, how many you've got, you need to discuss the patient's treatment. So you need to know what's coming in. Um, we need to have screening results so that we can put them in our tank straight away. Consents, obviously, the written consent is really important. Um, so all of that we need ahead of time to approve it. Also, what device has been frozen on? What media might have been used? We may need to get media in. We may need to um, find some expertise on that particular device ahead of time before we receive that shipment. Or there may even be reasons within the paperwork that we don't actually feel that we can accept that shipment. We insist on everything ahead of time and giving an, an approval and writing before we'll actually allow the shipment to leave the other clinic um, to, to come to us. So is that kind of a, a standard form to you, for you? Do you send over kind of a checklist of things you want them to send to you or is it just through the communication by email? There is a checklist, to be honest, within the UK clinics, because obviously we're all regulated by the HFPA, is very much a standard set of information that is needed. So every UK embryologist knows what they need to send and, you know, the receiving centre will know what they need to receive ahead of time. But obviously we have the SOPs and the checklist. Everything has to be checked off. Usually everything is checked by two embryologists um, or competent people beforehand, uh, just so that everything is, as I say, completely tied up before a shipment leaves another clinic. Yeah, we do, we do a few shipments every year back and forth between the UK. And I have to say that the setup when we when we work with them is very streamlined. I mean, we have to wait a while for the approval. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. because we're ISOed on our end, it seems like everything goes very simple. We can send over our protocols and tend to get approved. And we we 
easily get back everything we've requested from from the clinics we've worked with over there. So that's really nice. Good to hear. Simon's got to leave us soon because he's got a job to go to, hasn't he? It's early morning there. But yeah, I, I just want to, to say to. thank you again. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, one one of the things that um, I, I saw pop up in the questions here was, uh, what's the frequency of tank failure? Um, and you know, I, I don't know if anyone ever uh, has publicly said they've had a tank failure. Um, but um, you know, one one thing: uh, do, do people throw their tanks away when they get to maybe fifteen days worth of? Um, uh, length is do, do people have a um, a defined time of not using a tank if they revalidate them every year? Is anyone aware of what what they'll do there? For shipping or for storage? Well, I mean, a lot of people still use their own shippers. We'll, we'll throw them away if they if they go underneath fourteen days, even though they're a twenty one day dry shipper. Does anyone uh, have have standards that they follow internally, or I mean, what what does Cryoport use as far as throwing tanks away? Yeah, maybe maybe even John in here because I think when I was talking to Brett, he was saying that um, you know they do obviously they do validate you know like, you know like, like the holding days, and in the full version of his video, you'll see like a, you know a graph because we couldn't show the whole of his video, but I think there's um, there's dry shippers and they have you know, like a varying amount of holding days. Um, and of course, some will be past their um, validation date, but they know which each one of their dry shippers, how, how long they have the holding date. Is yeah. that right, John? Yeah, yeah. It, it's based upon uh, not days, but performance. And if you look at uh, the requalification process, uh, if the, the, uh, the tank still performs, uh, if it still has an estimated hold time, hold time beyond the, the 10 days that we publish, uh, then we leave it in production. If it starts diminishing in hold time, then we bust it down, if you will, to a lower category, uh, a seven-day hold time. There may be use for that because of a courier service across town. Seven days is plenty, right? Uh, and then after that, we actually take it out of production. So it's really not based upon date, it's based upon the, the performance based upon requalification, which by the way, puts an emphasis on more frequent requalification. If you um, requalify only every year or every six months, even every month, how do you know within that month that the, the shipper is gonna maintain its whole time? And that's why we put such emphasis on it after every shipment, so. Yeah, and I think that actually, was one of the ones they mentioned with, um, I think they were getting uh, towards those little little vials, little cryo vials. I think someone asked a question about that. I think that's probably how some people do it, but yeah, whether it's good enough, who knows? We, we even keep track of something called, um, I'm sorry, I'm looking for it right now on a slide deck uh, that I <laughs> put in place here and I can't find it, but it, we keep track of the failure rate uh, for our shippers. Um, and when I say failure, it's not warming events based upon misorientation. It is actually failure based upon a structural failure. Um, and we look at that based on the number of shipments per quarter and, um, you know, how we um, do, do we improve on that process, looking at our requalification processes. Um, you know, we, we keep track of that. Our quality department keeps track of that. Uh, it's always uh, important to continue to improve and reducing that that percentage of failure rate. Um, yeah, so again, it just kind of takes it a step further if we keep tracking those kind of things. And I think also um, 
you have experience of the routes, so you know how long something's going to take. And um, and again, I saw in Brett's extended talk, you know, you've had experience about you know how long each one of these routes or routes takes, and that can affect you know how many people you have on that, which which dry shippers use as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, keeping part of the ISO process is uh, if you look at the twenty one nine seventy three, it's it's not only just you know having good quality processes, but it's keeping track of the shipment history. Where has it been? How long has it been in production? Um, you know, some of these, as Simon said, you know, it can get bumped around quite a bit, and so you you look at those things. And you start to keep an eye on ones that have been in um, in longer shipment histories, uh, and then the the route to get them back to uh, to the logistics center can be, you know, as equally as as daunting. Uh, but again, it's it's all part of keeping track of that kind of detail. What's been put in the tank? When was it sent out last? Uh, what was this last requalification data? Um, the shipper certification. What is it? Uh, what's the estimated hold time for it? It's all those kind of things that I think are really critical that most most customers never see, but it's critical to making sure that the product you put out there is going to perform the way you want it to. I think that's one of the, like I said, one of the drivers that made us change is we're an IVF clinic. We're not set up to do that. We simply yes. don't have the skill. We don't have the logistics. We don't have the staffing or ability to do that level of detail, um, and that's that's one of the ones where we're quite happy to offload to someone that does. Um, and if okay, if it costs us X amount of dollars for each shipment, say say be it. That's what it would have cost us to do that in the first place. And I, I don't know any IVF clinic in in reality that is able to do that level of detail. On on, I've got something like. Um, uh, 18 dry shippers just in our lab system that well, we don't use too much these days, but I, I don't have that flexibility to keep that level of detail on 18 dry shippers. <laughs> Something now about um, about the x-ray, because x-rays always come up, and I got a comment from Jacques, Jacques Cohen, who wrote um, about a study which Whittingham did in the 1970s, simulated 100,000 years of background radiation on embryos, but also about when you flight, we've done some webinars about space travel, but even so, even, <laughs> even normal flight has um, a radiation problem. And he's saying that, you know, basically maybe the x-rays in the, in the airports aren't that, aren't that lethal. Does anyone have any concerns about that really? I, I think it's, just it's something then, we yeah? don't know. Um, like mm. I don't have any detail on it. I, and it's not something I'm going to be able to um, uh, find out. I think everyone has said, oh, please don't x-ray our samples because we just don't know what the x-ray does. Um, yeah. And it's, it's surprising that one came out in the 70s. <laughs> so for all of our lifespan, it's been there, but we didn't know. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I just assume they all do. I mean, really. I mean, we already say this end up and they come every which way. So I don't think they really pay attention to anything we write in the box. I think it probably just goes through the distribution center the same as yeah. any other, whether it's the airport or even just in FedEx itself, right? I mean, uh, just we have no way of knowing. Yeah, we, we do a lot of business with FedEx every year. Probably 98% of everything we do in the U.S. is with FedEx. We have been told by FedEx, and we had a lady who was, uh, was a 20-year veteran of FedEx that joined our staff. Uh, in the customs clearance. And she said, as long as it's a FedEx pickup and a FedEx, and it goes on a FedEx purple tail, which is what they call their aircraft, she said, it doesn't go through x-ray. Now, if it's going outside the country, 
you're not sure you know what's going to take place there. So we don't use a integrator like FedEx outside the U.S. Uh, we usually use a specialty courier that has agents that literally can walk them through the customs clearance process without X-ray. There are times that it happens. Vienna, uh, Austria is one that they open up everything. They X-ray everything. It's like, so we try to avoid going through uh, Vienna at all costs. But you do get those times when it's going to be X-rayed because somebody's not paying attention to it. We try to uh, implement or employ the service of uh, drug, sm uh, drug sniffing dogs uh, to be able to do that too. Simon, kind of like you said, um, and and there are times that they um, they will comply. <laughs> um, it depends on the country as well, and that really varies clearly from country to country. Well, thanks everyone for your time. I mean, I know it's going to be late or a bit early for some people, but but finally, while I've got Simon here. Um, isn't there like a new, and, and obviously you have to keep ahead of countries' legislation and guidelines, but what's happened in Australia and recently? There's been a new technical... Uh, technical bulletin? Add-on. Yeah. John, is, is there something, what's going on yeah. in uh, New Zealand then? There was a shipment that I think occurred between New Zealand and Australia that went not according to plan. And the Facility Society of Australia and New Zealand put out a technical bulletin. I think it's technical bulletin 13 uh, that came out about the middle of last month, uh, talking about the importance of safe shipping for uh, embryos and gametes. And it talked about all the pretty much the things that were talked about today for ISO standards, um, quality processes, data loggers that are not after the fact data loggers, but in transit data loggers. So you could see it was all those kind of things, I think. Um, and Simon certainly could, could expand on that certainly than I. I read the bulletin, but Simon, do you have any further? You certainly have plenty more color on it than I do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the headphones just died. Um, yeah, look, there was a shipment between New Zealand and Australia that had some issues. Um, uh, I, I think all the, all the reasons why we went to a different uh, courier company is specifically for this reason. Um, so, no, we, um, it, that this does commercial arrangement with our courier. Um, clearly, at the wrong temperature and it's warmed, which has happened to us in the past with different couriers, different uh, um, imports and exports. It's it's part of the problem. It's exactly what we face every time, which is why you saw <laughs> that, that photo with <laughs> pulling your hair come on. <laughs> Shipments, we don't really want to do them, but it's part of life. Um, that's just part of life. Uh, so it now forces us to do what we we're doing anyway, uh, which highlights the reason why we did it in the first place. But to us, it makes no difference. It's what we're doing now. Can I ask a question of, of those on the, the call here? Mark talked about auditing. In, in As most of you know, we not only serve reproductive medicine, but we also serve the biopharma industry. And that's a whole lot of folks that are FDA regulated, et cetera. Um, last year, we got audited 41 times. And every one of them was a biopharma company, and yet not one of them was a fertility organization. And the question is, why do we as an industry not feel that that's important to audit, to audit uh, maybe a freight partner? That's a critical part of that. Not, not big, but it's a critical part of the journey. We've never been, we've never had a courier that had a facility that we could audit without we already know the outcomes. We know everything they did would fail. So the, the audit point was pointless. Um, 
now that we know we can order you happy days let's get a trip to america um but um you know, uh, that, that, that's a very rare component um to have a courier that says come and order us at, at no stage would we bother in the past what's the point so so it, when you review criteria when you review quality your quality processes sops is that something that you think maybe moving forward companies will start doing because it's starting yeah. to become such a critical piece? Well, we've got an order to uh, people like our donor providers, uh, different things we're looking at, of course, um, but absolutely we'll be doing it in the coming year. Absolutely, now that we've got the ability and we know that the individual has a quality system themselves. There's no point doing it if they don't have a quality system because they'll fail at every conceivable point. But now that we have one, happy days, let's do it. Anybody else I'd be interested to hear thoughts as to why or why not? It's always good to audit your, your, you know, your third party agreements or, you know, any kind of like third parties you have. And as someone says, you know, if you don't think that they have that love relationship, you won't go into it. But being as you're offering this now and you're saying that we can freely do this, um, it's another tick box, you know, for clinics that want to prove that that, you know, that, that link, uh, you know, is as strong as possible. So I think that's great. I think it depends on the partnership, right? Because some clinics yeah. have a partnership with a with a shipper. Like you can become a partner clinic with Cryoport and you'll have those agreements in place. And then you would fall under a vendorship, in which case we would audit you every year. But right. the way some clinics are set up is that the clinic's not your client. The patient is. The patient is choosing to use you. They're hiring you directly and, and doing all that. And in that case, you're not our vendor. You're just somebody the patient has has linked you to us. True. And in those cases, I think it's it's taken away the need for us to label you as a vendor or a third party and and to create those audits. So I think that's a critical difference because yeah, if you a are point. a partner, yeah. you should definitely fall under your auditing. And that's something we have to do. For example, for the FDA, when we use um, those testing laboratories to do our you know our eligibility, we need to audit those systems mm -hmm. to make sure they're following. The, the appropriate protocols to keep us compliant. Yeah, that's a good point. It was only a few years ago where patients could take their own samples in 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 some countries. Is that is that is that long gone? Is that long gone? I mean, it can still happen here. I think it can mm -hmm. happen in the U.S. It's just very few clinics will offer it. Like we don't offer it. Yeah, we don't allow yeah, you. yeah. Of You'd have to have well, your own tank. Now, yeah. You know, yeah, we don't provide you a tank, but there are definitely right. still places that patients get a tank from wherever and they'll show up and say they want to be their own courier which yeah, is no longer waiver. provide tanks yeah so they would you sign a release to, yeah. form for yeah. whatever yeah. they're taking out but we don't provide tanks anymore we haven't for years because thankfully there's other people out there that they can contract <laughs> with yeah i think it's definitely something that the uk have moved away from and um, we used to certainly previous clinics i've worked at we were quite happy to lend out shippers in the past um, almost in the belief that actually the patient was the best carer for their own samples with with hindsight not necessarily the the, the actual situation but with that belief um, but there was some kind of incident within the NHS and then it sort of highlighted the lack of training when you're actually just handing a shipper with perhaps a list of instructions and some sort of you know brief instructions that you give to the patient this is how you handle the shipper don't take it on public transport keep it upright etc etc um, and it kind of highlighted a problem within the NHS that therefore, you know, patients are not actually having sufficient training to be um, handling a shipper. And again, you know, what if something goes wrong? They've got no idea really what to do. So therefore that thought was very much moved away from the NHS clinic stopped it happening. And obviously the private ones have generally followed um, suite. So I think I do hear the occasional one still happening, but I think predominantly it's, it doesn't happen within the UK now. 
Okay, guys and gals, thank you very much. I think it was very, very interesting. We saw a lot of people had signed up for this and a lot of people were there live. So thank you all for your time and your and your expertise. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, okay. Thanks the i3 team. Nice job, guys. Bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Be sure to visit ivfmeeting.com where you can watch our back catalogue of webinars. Plus, you can sign up for future ones, download our electronic membership card, and find all our social media so we can stay in touch.